Thank you, Ryan. Good morning. So it's uh, always good to be here. I say this often, but uh, uh, when it's my opportunity to open God's Word and, and preach God's Word, it's always a joy. And so I'm really uh, excited and happy to be able to do that this morning. My name is uh, Andy, Pastor Andy, one of the pastors here. And, uh, and so it's, it's good to be here today. Amen? Amen. Amen. The, the word benefit, the word benefit or benefits is a very positive word. It's a good word. We, we can just think of, uh, of an employer giving an employee uh, gifts or, or payment for, let's just say, um, you know, a pension or health insurance or sick leave. Again, when we think of this word benefit or benefits, it implies perks. And in Romans chapter 5, interestingly enough, in Romans chapter 5, Paul begins a very new section, a new thought. And what he is saying here, what he's saying here is this. What are the benefits, what are the perks, the advantages of being a child of God, of being declared right, of being in the right with God? And, and that's what we have here in this chapter, to put it another way. What gifts, what blessings did God give us once we are declared not guilty? And so I'd like to encourage you, uh, you to open up your Bibles with me to the Romans chapter 5, page 942 in the Bibles you find around you, your chairs. And I'll be reading chapter 5, verses 1 through 11 for you. And um, notice, as I read through this, notice the word we. It's very interesting. That word just occurs over and over again in these 11 verses. And I encourage you to think through that. You know, notice, again, what we, what we have, those who are declared not guilty, notice what is given to us. And so I like to encourage you, maybe for the younger people here, maybe some of the older, you know, maybe count through the times we read the word we here. So many, again, gifts that the Father God gives us, we are blessed. We are blessed. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we also have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, God, excuse me, Christ died for the ungodly. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps a good person would dare even to die but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life." 
More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. God's reading for us, the hearing of his word for us this morning. Let me pray. Dear Lord, thank you again for your word. Thank you, Father, that we know from your word that your word is life. And we thank you that through the Holy Spirit, you, through your word, that you speak to us. And you, um, you help us to, to open up our eyes and understanding, our minds, to hear what you're saying to us. And that's what we pray for this morning. Thank you for your word. And we pray again that you will give us ears to hear what you would want to say to us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Interesting enough, the the seven words in verse 1, since we have been justified by faith, by faith, the seven words there summarize all of chapter 4. Isn't that remarkable? In chapter 4, 25 verses. But here in these seven words, Paul summarizes that whole chapter. Since we have been justified by faith. It's a recap, short and sweet, to the point. We've been justified, declared right, before God. And so, now he goes on to say, since we've been declared right, in the right with God, what are the blessings now that come to us? What are the the benefits that come our way? And now I have condensed these down to three. For you this morning. The first benefit of being in the right with God, what God has done for us, a new relationship with God the Father. Verses 1 and 2, verses 10 and 11. Our new relationship with God is characterized by a peace with God, and also access to God, reconciled to God, and then also this idea of a hope, hope and the glory of God. Peace with God, interesting phrase. Since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God. The word peace here, first of all, is not not to be understood in a subjective inner uh, way of feeling or a calmness or uh, 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 being calm in in heart. It refers, refers more to the idea of an objective standing that we have before God. We, it's a positive term, we are now in the right with God. Paul says in Ephesians 2 verse 14 that there's a wall between us, Father God, and us. But now in Christ, that wall has been removed. We have peace now with Father God. And um, there's no more enmity, there's no more animosity. We now are... at peace, and the word even carries the idea of, of friends, friendship. We now have also access to God. Paul uses this word access. Interesting little phrase. The entryway, the doorway to Father God, the relationship to Father God is now open. Access to Father God. And, it, it, and, and God took the initiative, Father God took the initiative from his side to open up that door by sending his son Jesus Christ into the world. Christ became that, that sin offering. Now from our side, we access it through faith by placing our trust in Jesus, the door, and um, having eternal life in him and entrusting in him alone. Now this word access 
also has, is, is a very interesting word here. The imagery, this imagery kind of forces us back into the Old Testament, the tabernacle and the temple. And in the tabernacle, there would be a curtain, a long curtain, um, in a heavy curtain between the holy place and the most holy place. And the writer of Matthew tells us that when Jesus died on the cross, at that very moment that Jesus died on the cross, that heavy curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And then Hebrews, Hebrews 10 verse 20, the writer tells us that Jesus himself, he himself was that curtain. Interesting terminology. That he and his body became that curtain. Jesus gave us access to the Father. We can now have daily communion with him, access, just like a child to her parent or his parent. Complete freedom access. Paul is saying we now have access to Father God, the Abba Father God. Now this access, this, this thought, this access to God implies also reconciliation. Reconciliation. And, and we find that in verses 10 and 11. Interesting enough that verses 1 and 2 and 10 and 11 kind of frame this whole section. And a lot of chapter 1 and 2, verses 1 and 2, is conveyed in, in, in verses 10 and 11 in this word reconciliation. Three times we find this word. Two times reconciled and then reconciliation. What does it mean? What does it mean to be reconciled? It means to be put, it means to, to put an end to hostilities. Hostilities were real, <laughs> they were very real. Hostilities were there, but now they've been resolved. So, whatever the conflict in the past, whatever it might have been, the barriers, whatever, they've been settled, and now there's peace and communion. Once again, access, peace. Interesting, this, uh, this past week I, I, I shared with my wife, Tony, that I was preaching on this word, and I mentioned the word reconciliation. Now, Tony, Tony works at an early childhood learning center, and as soon as I said that word reconciliation, she said, oh, I see that all the time. I see that all the time. A two-year-old just grabs a toy from another two-year-old. And then there's pushing, and there's a little shoving, and then maybe there's even a little pinch, and then also perhaps, perhaps there's even a little punch, and even biting sometimes. And then there's crying. And then Tony has to be the mediator, and then she takes the two children, and then she has the one child apologize to the other, and then the other child who has done wrong, or been done wrong to them, uh, acknowledges the apology. And then within moments, in seconds, there's reconciliation, and they share their toys. Wouldn't, wouldn't you just love to see this happen with our politicians? I mean, wouldn't that just be great? But that's the idea behind this word, reconciliation. The idea that there were disagreements, hurts, pains, but now in Christ, they've been removed, and we've been reconciled. The wall has been removed. We go on in verse 2, where Paul says something very interesting here. He uses this, this phrase, rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. In other, 
another aspect to our relationship with God. Now, the word hope in English uh, carries the, the idea of, of something uncertain. Maybe there's an, an element of chance or likelihood in the word hope. We hear someone say, well, I hope to be there tomorrow morning at 10. It might be, it might happen, it might not happen. But in biblical theology, in biblical theology here, Romans 5, this word hope is a certainty. A certainty. There's a confident expectation. There is here a sure reality. This phrase, in the hope, in the hope of the glory of God, points to the future of God's glory when he will come again sometime, second coming. God will put all things right. God will put all things right. Again, it points to the future. It will happen. We think of the mega theme of the Bible. We think of the creation, the fall, the rescue, and then the restoration. The restoration when, when all things will be made new and where God's glory will be fully displayed. And the joy there, the joy... Paul mentions, is that, is that it will be our hope and our assurance and our destination too. We are able to rejoice, again Paul uses that word, because we know the end of the story. We know how it ends. God is the victor, our hope of glory. Amen? Amen. Now again, that's all packed in those two very two verses there in 10 and 11, this idea of a relationship with God, it's the benefit we have of being declared not guilty. A relationship with God. Number two, we have now this benefit, a new understanding of suffering or in suffering. A new understanding in suffering. Verses 3 through 8. And now Paul says something very interesting in verse 3. More than that, we rejoice in our suffering. And I can just imagine some of you thinking this through and saying, what? The word rejoice in suffering in the very same sentence? You've got to be kidding me. What is Paul saying here? I mean, verses 1 and 2 sound so wonderful, and then all of a sudden there is verse 3. Rejoice in suffering? The believer's joy is not something just someday in the future, in the new heavens and the new earth. Paul is saying, because we are in Christ, declared not guilty, joy can be experienced in the here and now. Even now, in this life, we can experience joy. Since we have been declared not guilty, we have a right relationship with God, we have access to Father God, we know our destination, hope, sure, surety in heaven, we can have a a disposition, a character, we can have an outlook in life with joy, with joy, even in our trials, Paul is saying, even in our trials, interesting, We rejoice in our suffering as Christians for Christ. The the suffering here is a reference to trials. The the thought of standing or living as a Christian in culture, in life. And Paul is saying, even 
when culture, when the world does not understand us, even when we go through trials, suffering, we can have a joy. Paul is not saying here that we should actually (laughs) enjoy pleasure itself, or pain, excuse me, pain itself, or that we should invite pain into our lives. He is saying here, and this is, this is really, um, really um, quite deep. He is saying here that we can look through the pain for a reason. We can look through the pain. as We, we can rejoice in suffering for we know that sufferings are not meaningless. Sufferings can be productive. Sufferings, he says, can build character. And there is now a very uh, good chain reaction here to suffering that he mentions in this passage. He said, and we can can truly um, have a good reaction to suffering if, if we respond to them correctly. So sufferings produce endurance, strength, perseverance. And then Paul says endurance produces character. Character, we think of moral character. We think of moral, a moral quality, a moral backbone, backbone. And then character produces hope. Again, blessed assurance that Jesus is mine now but forever. Now and forever. When trials come upon us, we can either become bitter or better. We can either become bitter or better. Suffering for Christ drops us to our knees. And this is, this is I think, very, very crucial here. When trials come our way, we have a choice. We have a choice where we will place our confidence and hope in. Will it be in God in the midst of a trial? We never minimize the trial. There are trials and they can be very, very painful. But in the midst of that trial, do we look to God or to something else? And all believers in Christ, we can cry out. I think I've heard this from from many of you and in my ministry years. I've heard believers cry out to the Lord, Lord, help me endure in this trial and this pain. And there are tears. The tears are not wrong at all. But give me strength to go on, to carry on. Oh, Lord, I believe, but, oh, Lord, help help me overcome my unbelief. Lord, in the midst of this trial, I'm, 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 I'm tempted to doubt you. I'm tempted to doubt your presence. Are you really here with me through this pain and this sorrow and this suffering? And then we can go on to even pray here this thought, too. We can say, Lord, I know people are watching me now. If they know that I'm a believer in Christ, they're watching me to see how I will react in the midst of this trial or hardship. Oh, Lord, please, may I run with perseverance. May I fix your eyes on you, the author, perfecter of my faith. Lord, I don't want to become bitter. I want to be become, become better and stronger for you. Through this trial, help me, sustain me, lift me up. Lift me up. Now, as we go on in verse 5, Paul says something very, very interesting. He says in verse 5, and hope, it's like he continues now, and hope does not put us to shame. 
Now, if you have your own Bibles, you want to say, why not? If you have your own Bibles, you want to pencil in maybe, why not? And hope, he says, does not put us to shame. Why? Why not, Paul? I don't understand. What's going on here? This hope is not a blind hope on our part, an unfounded hope or optimism. It is based on two understandings. It is placed on two beautiful blessings. Hope does not disappoint us or put us to shame. Why? Verse 5. Notice what he says. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God the Holy Spirit has been given to us in one of his ministries, he has many, but one of his ministries here, did you catch it? Is to pour out God's love into our hearts. Christianity is not just, not at all a head game. God's Spirit floods our hearts with hope and assurance. We can think of just chapter 8, Romans 8, where we read verse 16, the Spirit himself testifies, confirms, attests with our spirit that we are God's children. Even in trials, God's love, God's love given to us by the Spirit sustains us. God is present even in the midst of trials. That's a promise. Never leave us. Never will he forsake us. That's a promise. This is our hope, our blessed assurance. Hope does not put us to shame. Number two, the answer is verse 6 and verse 8. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And then verse 8, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Paul goes on to say in verse 7, you know, perhaps a, a person, a good person might, might pass away, might, excuse me, die for, uh, for another. But what does he say here in, in verse 6 and 8? But Christ, but Christ gave his life, gave up his life for the weak, the ungodly, for sinners, and for his enemies. For his enemies. Don't, don't miss this. Why have hope, Paul was saying? Why have hope? Wow, we need to look and remember who we need to look and remember the God we serve. God demonstrated his love to us by giving us his son. I mean, what a gift, what a sacrifice. Beyond doubt, God loves us. He's demonstrated that, his love, through his son for us. In the midst of suffering and trials, God still loves his children. God still loves his children. Now, if you look at these verses here, you'll notice um, Paul and what Paul is saying. It, it's as if the Apostle Paul, you know, he just, he, he just can't help himself. He has, to, he has to write some good theology inspired by the Spirit, but he has to write some very good theology here. He can't resist highlighting God's grace, initiative in coming the people like you and me. He can't, I mean, he can't help himself but highlight that. And over and over again, Christ's death is highlighted in these verses. A number of times he says, Christ died for us, verse 6 and verse 8. And then later on, he says, we've been reconciled through or in the blood of Jesus, in the blood of Christ. 
And so again, in one sense, he's highlighting the precious cost, the sacrifice, the gift of Jesus. But then who are the recipients? Who are the recipients? Do you catch that? The weak, the ungodly, sinners, and enemies. I mean, when you look at the recipients, you realize the preciousness of the gift. That's what Paul was trying to do here. And this is the love of Christ. This is what he has done for us. So once again, once again, uh, when we face trials, Paul is saying, remember the God who loves you. He is love. It's who he is. He's poured out his love for you in Christ. The Holy Spirit confirms in you his love in our hearts. So don't doubt it. Never doubt it. No matter what the circumstances, no matter where you find yourself in life, never doubt God's love. Why? Look at his love demonstrated in his son. And now that you're one of his children, never doubt that he loves you and will keep you. And so we come to number three, the benefit, the benefits of God's of being declared right. New relationship with God, a new understanding and suffering. A new understanding and suffering. And then also three, a new assurance of eternal security. And we find that in verses 9 through 11. In verse 9, we have another since and therefore, just like in verse 1, the same two words. And Paul is saying here, because since... All that I've been saying is true so far. I have one more blessing I want to share with you. One more benefit for for those in Christ. And it's eternal security. Eternal security. Once you are God's child, once you are God's child, declared not guilty, you're his forever child. He will never let you go. He will never let you go. We have the perseverance of the saints here. We have a God who who holds on to us to the end, through the end, forever, because we're his child, his children. We think of Romans 8, Ryan's favorite chapter. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? What does Paul say at the end of the chapter? Nothing, not even death, will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now notice how Paul spells this out in our section. Paul's argument is the much more argument, or as the NIV Bible has, the how much more argument. And it's this. If we have been justified by faith in Christ Jesus through his atoning sacrifice, while at our worst, while at our worst, Weak, ungodly sinners, enemies, how much more? Now that we're his children, will he not keep us to the end? Do I hear amen? Amen. That's what Paul is saying in these verses. So, so profound. One, one person put it this way. It's a little, little crass, but God's saying, it costs me an arm and a leg to redeem you. You think I'm going to let you slip away now that you're mine? Never. You're mine forever. That's what God is saying here. What a blessing we have. What a blessing. 
Come judgment day when God's wrath um, and judgment will be given, verse 9, his children will be secure. Will be secure. The testimony of Scripture. I love what Jesus says in John 5, verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever... Oh, I forgot my place. I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. On judgment day, we will be dressed, as we sang earlier, we will be dressed in Christ's righteousness. Christ, the robe of Christ's righteousness, will cover us and keep us secure. Eternal, eternal security. A benefit, a blessing of being declared not guilty by God. But Paul adds something very interesting here in verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much more or much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? That little phrase at the end, we shall be saved by his life. We will be saved now, in the here and now, in the present, as we live on earth, by his life. And many go on to say, in his life, by his life, not just his resurrected life, although I think that's the primary meaning, but his life, the life he lived on earth, his teaching, his, his, his example, his life, his life, Jesus, his life himself, himself, his life will save us. His whole life will sustain us. His resurrected life will sustain us Paul is saying, now, not just in the future, but even right now, right now. So Christ's redemption, interesting enough, it's not just our ticket to the new heavens and new earth someday in the future. Not at all. It's a life living in Christ, his resurrection, that we can live right now. It impacts how we live right now, not just to the future. And Paul says that very clearly. He, he says in verse 11, he mentions this word joy. More than that, we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We, we have this inner joy and peace in life. Why? Because we belong to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Why can we have this joy and this peace? Because Father God holds on to us. We sang that earlier today, too. Because Father God securely has us in his arms of love. There's just a sense of a peace and and joy that comes from that. So, again here, the, the, the impact of this should really be great upon our lives. I mean, I am forgiven I am forgiven. My destination, my hope is secure. (laughs) I don't have to worry. Whether I live or die, I belong to the Lord, Paul says. And then to think, the Holy Spirit is pouring God's love into my heart. I live the resurrected life in Christ. So mercy me. I, I would think, I would like to think this would impact my family life. This would truly impact, you know, this idea of a faithful presence at work Monday through Friday. 
This would impact my conversation with my neighbors and my hospitality and my giving and my, and my serving. I've been set free. We have been set free in Christ. And he has given us all these blessings. What master, what Lord, dare I say, boss, would ever give us more? The benefits that God has given us, not just to the future, but right now to enjoy, to live them out. Oh, we need to say, Lord, use me. Use us, Lord. Use us in your church and kingdom right where you've planted us, right where you put us. May we be all that you have called us to, what you have given us to. May we be um, your people. And what's Paul's conclusion? Interesting enough, joy. Three times in this passage, maybe you've caught this, three times he mentions the word rejoice. Rejoice. We can have joy, have joy in Christ. Again, he says, we rejoice, verse 11, in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If, if joy in Christ is not a reality for you, or it's not your song, the song of your heart. I'd like to encourage you to talk to Ryan and myself or the prayer partners after the service. It's a gift that God gives to us. Now, it's not a smiley face, not a smiley face, but it's a deep-seated, interesting word to kind of interpret, but it's this deep-seated contentment, a peace, a fulfillment, the absence of fear, the absence of anxiety, One is at peace with God. And I can't help but say it, but it gives us joy. (laughs) It gives us joy. I like to end the message with this picture. And it goes, and it comes back from, and it's it's centered on verse 5. The Holy Spirit pouring, or poured God's love into our hearts. The word pour there, it is noteworthy. Not a, not a trickle. It, it's, it, we need to be thinking deluge, a deluge. We need to be thinking of, of a flood, something flowing very, very quickly, teeming. Think of raining bucket loads. I mean, the Holy Spirit, that's the word. The Holy Spirit is poured, is pouring, is pouring God's love into our hearts. And now, not to be overdramatic, but I like you to think, picture yourself standing underneath a waterfall. What is Paul saying? What does Scripture say? So, so was God's unbounding love for his children. What is Paul asking us today as believers in Christ? He, he's, he's saying to us, Let, let's, let's just live in the overflow of what God has given us. Let's just soak it in. It's ours now, what God has given to us now. Rejoice in it. Celebrate it. Thank the Lord for it. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Lord, you are so good. We, we say that so often, but when, 
when we read Romans 5, 1 through 11, and we read and see and understand what you have given us, mercy, Lord, you are so, so good. And dear Father, we pray that you will continue to change our thinking, that our thinking will be transformed. Because, because we know, Lord, how we sometimes think of ourselves. We don't think of ourselves sometimes, first of all, as a child of God set free in Christ. Sometimes we think of ourselves automatically, oh, poor worm that I am. Oh, what a sinner I am. Or what a, what a disappointment I am. Or the idea that we don't, we in our minds know what the scripture says, but in our hearts, do we really believe what God is saying? Oh Lord, we pray as we meditate on scripture, as we soak it in, as we stand under the waterfall of grace, that this truth your word will just become more and more our center. We are a child of God, loved by God. A child of God forever. Well, thank you, Lord. May we rejoice in this. May we rejoice and be glad. In your name, amen.